Most people become familiar with God's promises, but they fail to get to know God's character. They get familiar with God's hand. They like when God dishes out good things or protects them or does all this stuff, but they do not want to become familiar with God's face or God's character. Why? Because they know in doing that means I have to grow. I have to develop. There's a reality that I've understood for many years. Many want the pastor to be knowledgeable about the things of God only because they don't want to take time to build that relationship themselves. They don't want to take time to get to know God only to know of God. This is what Paul was talking to the church of Galatia. He said, for the time is coming, and you can look at it there in the book of Galatians, I think it's chapter 3. He said, the time is coming when you should know God, or you are rather known of God, but you have turned back to those weak and beggarly elements of the world. Why is it? When things are going good, we change the trust factor. And when things are bad, we cry out to God. You see, our life will be so much stable if good or bad. We know God's still there. God's still doing. God's still promising. Why? Because we know Daddy's face. Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Centers or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Now with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. These last few weeks we've been talking about the wilderness. How many say, Pastor, this is the sermon series that I've been needing? Yeah, come on, hands everywhere. People going through things, people struggling, saying, God, anybody ever besides me said, God, where are you at? Okay, I just, I just want to make sure that I'm not just preaching to myself today. But in doing this, there's been a, a purposeful journey that, we on, that we're on. The first session was talking about how God's building our character. Character is all about relationship, personability. Character is who you are when nobody else is looking. It's a relationship between you and, and God. And that, that continual growing. Last week we talked about where God is exposing our hearts. My Bible still tells me that the heart is wicked above anything. Who can know it? How many ever did something you knew was wrong and did it anyway? Okay, we got a few honest people in this place. I mean, I thought we'd all jump up, shout, oh yeah, that's me. <laughs> Well, just to encourage you, your pastor has done the same thing. I love Romans 7. The things I don't want to do, I do. And the things I do want to do, I wind up not. You know what I love so much about Romans 7? Romans 8. (laughs) There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus and walk not after the flesh. Look at somebody and say, he's going to step on my toes right now, isn't he? Walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Well, today I want to talk about this place. It's a place where God restores our hope. God has a purpose. And yes, I want you to look at me and hear this very clear. If you are living for God, you're a child of God, you're a man, you're a woman of God, you're doing what God has called you to do, I mean, to the best of your ability. God's the one that brought you where you are. He always has, and he always will. 
Because you and me, I don't know about you folks, I haven't arrived. I have to grow. And the only place God can get me to grow is when there's nobody else there. Just me and him. It's called the wilderness. Let's jump into this this morning. We've already seen over the last few weeks that the wilderness is not a place of rejection, prison, uh, uh, abandonment, or punishment. The red, and I put it in your notes, the wilderness is rather a place of God's preparation. It's a place where God is preparing you, developing you. It's been greatly used in preparing men and women for destiny. A place of separating us from the world and separating us to God. Let me give you the spiritual name or word for that. It's called sanctification. That's what sanctification means, to separate from, to separate to. There's a little humor in my family with my wife and I. We pray God's blessing upon our dinners, and we ask God to sanctify our desserts. (laughs) Separate this puppy, God. wilderness that lone place that alone place that sometimes lonely place because you can go there and it may not even seem like God's there with you but he is he's right there he's trying to pull the distractions it's not a place where God corrects us it's a place where God perfects us let me take you to Isaiah 40 the voice of one crying in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. That, if you take it back into the original Hebrew, if you take it back into the original language, it actually is literally saying, prepare your life to be before God. That's what the Word of God is saying. I'm the voice in the wilderness. We know that John Baptist was the successor of Elijah, who was the same voice in the wilderness Uh, In the Old Covenant, John Baptist shows up in the book of Matthew and says the same words, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Or in other words, he said, prepare your life to meet your God. And that's not a place of condemnation. John 3, 17 says Jesus didn't come to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. If you're in this place, it's not a place of condemnation or retribution. It's a place of preparation and even consecration where God's drawing you as close as he possibly can. Number one in your notes, it's in this place and majority of the time only in this place that revelation can be found. The revealing of God's purpose to your life. And I'm going to make a little statement The more you see, the more you see. The more you begin to look back the here and now and get your eyes focused on the then and there, the book of Colossians says, if you are raised in Christ, set your eyes on the things above where Christ is. Too many times the world is is pulling for us. And God is just sitting back and saying, well, it's only pulling because you're holding on. Let it go. I'm not opposed to any of these things, but I've been to Bible school. I've I've had theological studies and exegetical training and all of these other words that most people say, what was that? But it wasn't that that built my life. It was this place called the wilderness. Let me take you quickly through the word of God. John the the Apostle was not on Patmos because he was looking for a luxury vacation. The Bible says in the book of Revelation that God took him to the Isle of Patmos that he could get the revelation of God, the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ to put down that you and I could have a book called Revelation. It's not the revelation of John. It was the revelation of God's plan and purpose for this earth. We forget that John was exiled for the testimony of Christ. 
Let's talk about John Baptist, who we just mentioned. The Bible says he was in the wilderness as the voice of God. Luke chapter 3 says the word of God came to John, son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. Paul the apostle gets saved. We know his conversion. But the Bible says immediately, you can find it in the book of Galatians, he didn't go to, to see the disciples. He didn't go to see what God was doing amongst the people of God. The Bible says these words in Galatians, the God who pleased to separate me, he called me and revealed his son to me. You know where he revealed? On his back, knocked off a horse on the way to kill Christians. God said, hey, by the way, this is Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Am I making any sense? But Paul, through the revelation of God, knew that the last thing he wanted was to go and get tainted by the other Christians. He went and spent three years in the wilderness to be alone with God. Joseph, in prison, over and over, interpreting dreams. David, a shepherd, God calls him, God anoints him. You're the king. 25 years he's running for his life in the wilderness. Moses on the backside of the desert running because God called him and he didn't understand the call of God. Abraham left everything, led away to a place called the wilderness. Do you feel like you're in good company now? Every time God's will was revealed, every man and woman of God, when you read scripture, every one of them got away to get alone with God. They were led into the wilderness in your notes by God that they might be prepared in God to accomplish the work for God. They were led away. If you're in a situation in your life and you're trying to get the mind of God, you might as well prepare for some alone time. Because God, by God, he takes us there that we could be prepared in God to accomplish the work that he has for God. It's the same way with you and me. The hope begins to be restored right where we are. And when we begin to look at this time as a place of preparation and not devastation, a place where God can perfect us and not correct us, that is when and only when you'll get the upper hand and say, okay, devil, I know what you're up to. You're trying to deceive me. You're trying to condemn me. God's trying to help me and lift me. So I'm not going to listen to you anymore. One, let's all do a little, a little active work here. Take your head and turn it as far as you can to your right. You see that little guy on your shoulder? See, you're looking at other people. I'm trying to get you to look at the guy on your shoulder. No, it's not your wife either. Okay? The guy on your shoulder, tell him to shut up. You're going to spend some alone time with God. I'm going to spend some alone time with God. You see, it's always the enemy who is trying to distract you and detract you. That he can sidetrack you. God's trying to get you, lead you lift you and build you can anybody say amen in the house of god the wilderness number two that's where we're able to return i appreciate pastor philemon and he's getting up here and just receiving the sunday morning offering and the guy's starting to preach my sermon i just see god i I want you to grab this too many times we're going this way when god wants us to run this way he wants us to return and remember who it is that has done everything in your life. Who it is that's done everything for your life. But don't worry, you're in good company. Moses ran. David ran. Elijah ran. Peter ran. How many times have you and I ran from what we didn't understand? And this is what happens. And God says, I'm going to get you alone that I can strengthen, help, encourage, and build that you can return back. Now listen to me. He will always take you back to the place you ran from. Moses ran from Egypt. Where'd God take him back to? David ran from Saul. Where'd God take him back to? 
Elijah ran from Jezebel. Where'd God take, her, take him back to? Peter ran from Jesus. And Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Just do what I said. Folks, God's not mad at you. God's not mad at me. He just wants us to do what we're supposed to do. Well, I'm trying to figure this thing out. That's your first problem. You're trying to figure it out. Why don't you just get yourself alone with God? He's already got it figured out. Man, that's good preaching. Pastor, I'm glad I came today. I'm going to make a statement. Many Christians, it's in your note, many Christians have faith to get saved, but they really don't have faith to live, which is why so many are badly shaken when things go awry. And I want you to underline this in your notes. It's because their faith is based, listen, on Christ in their life and not their life in Christ. There's a world of difference. Well, I've asked Jesus to come to my heart. Everything should be fine. When the rain comes and the wind comes and the storm comes, you've got to find out, is Jesus just in your life because of a prayer or are you in his life? Have you put your life on the solid rock of the foundation of Jesus Christ? See, this is what God does in this place called the wilderness. He returns us back to that understanding. Sadly, life is not always good, but God is. I got two amens. I got to say that again. Sadly, life is not always good, but God is. And we must understand that the reason we live, whether things are good or bad, is Jesus. Christ in my life. 2015. It's actually been for the last three years. They have a brand new phrase in Christendom called a Christ follower. How many have heard it? You're not called a Christian anymore. You're called a Christ follower. Can I tell you that this is not biblical? Oh, I'm going to irritate some folks. I have that gift. What do I mean? The Bible says we're supposed to die in Christ. That we can live in Christ. Am I making sense? If I'm following and he takes a turn that I won't want to take, okay, no problem. Let me know when you come back, Jesus. I'll just wait right here. See, a follower can stop following anytime he wants to. But somebody who has been crucified, that has died, got no choice. Only my wife is shouting amen right there. Got no choice. It's not whether I like where he's leading. You know how many people that I've had over the years leave a church that I pastor because they think that I preach too hard. I just happen to preach this book. I don't add to. I don't take away. I don't water down. I mean, you want to find hard preaching, read your Bible. Eat my flesh, drink my blood, and you can have no part of me. Now, we understand that Jesus was, was using euphemisms. Yes, we do understand that it was typologies. He didn't really want them to become cannibals. No, but what he was saying is this life that I'm living and this life I'm dying has to be the life you choose or you can have no part of me. Yes, now, the 12 disciples, thousands had left. Thank you, Art. Thousands has left him. Jesus turns to the disciples, and I know just like I would talk to Pastor Philemon or Pastor Ray, well, I, what I really meant to say 
was, you know, the, the, I, 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 my, sometimes I stick my foot in my mouth. Don't you say amen either. Okay. Every once in a while, I can say things that I shouldn't ought to say. Am I in good company? Raise your hand. Okay, good, good, good. I am a connoisseur of leather. I know what all kinds of leather tastes like. Foot and mouth lots of times. And I ride bones. Can you say amen? Just, yeah. I walk up to it and I would try to, oh, guys, you know, that's not what I meant. I really, I, let me rephrase. No, Jesus said, are you guys leaving too? Can I tell you something about God's word? He said what he meant and he meant what he said. And if we don't like following that, what do we do? What do we do? If a sermon comes across or somebody under the unction of the Holy Ghost comes up and gives a word to you that you might not like the shoes, what do you do? Well, bless God, I get new shoes. Take them off. Get them. No, you say, okay, Lord. Pastor Philemon and I were talking about Mephibosheth. Thank you. Joab was really irritated because he was calling David, King David, everything but a good name. And you know what King David responded? Joab wanted to level his shoulders by removing his head. And David said, how do I not know that that's not God using him to get my attention? Why is it that we run from something we don't understand, something we don't like, instead of just saying, okay, God, I'm not quite like, this is not comfortable, I'm not liking where I'm at, but God, I'm in you, and you're in me. So I guess I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to ride this thing out. Christ follower. No. No. We need to die in Christ. This is Paul's revelation, Galatians 2. It's in your notes. It's on the screen. I've been crucified with Christ. See, Paul knew. I'm dead. But then he put these words in there. In the King James Version, it says, nevertheless, I live. He says, I no longer live here in this version, in the New King James I'm crucified with Christ. I no longer live. What he's saying is my flesh is still very much alive, but I'm not living anymore. It's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in this body, underline these words, please. I live by faith. Faith, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, this is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If I'm living in faith, God will give me the substance, and I'll see the evidence. It may not be what I want, but it'll be in him. Can somebody say amen? amen. The life that I live, I'll live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It would become, if, excuse me, we would become part of what he is doing and not try to make him part of what we are doing life would go much better. Are you with me today? See, Jesus never said good things would not turn bad. But he did say, to all those that love me, I'll take what the enemy means for bad, and I'll turn it around for good. So that's what Romans 8.28 really says. Okay? It it doesn't just say that that God's going to, you know, fix everything. He said, love me and called according to my purpose, even the bad. I'll make it work out for good. He didn't say, I'm going to change the bad. He said, I'm going to make it work out for good. God's going to use it to grow you, to build you, to return you to him. And it may just be in a place called the wilderness. Am I making sense today? Somebody say amen. Amen. The wilderness is a place that God takes us to remind us, as Pastor Philemon brought out during the offering. It's all about him. It's all about him. It never has been about us. Did you ever notice how people are much more pliable when they're facing crisis situations, when they know they have no place else to run but to God? 
You see, I believe it's in these times that God helps us to grasp the reality how not in control we really are and how much Christ needs to be in control. I've seen too many Christians only run to God when things go bad, yet when things are good, God, church, tithing, offering. See, I told you you preached my sermon. What do you It's here. When things are not going so great, this wilderness experience that God uses us to get us back to the realize he has to be Lord of our life, not just Savior. As sad as it is, it is here that most people fall the hardest. Why is that? Because they found the rock, but for sake of ease, they've built their house on the sand. And when insecure and unsettled conditions come, it crumbles. The hardest people as a pastor that I talk to are those that say, I know. After they told me I know a couple times, I stopped talking. Did you ever find people that know it all? They just don't tell you all they know? See, as your pastor, I want you to know everything I know. That's why I do what I do. I have one purpose in this church, and that's to grow people. And if I'm not growing people, I have no purpose. That's what God's word calls me to do. I'm sorry, to grow people. How do you do it, pastor? You challenge them to leave what they were to become what they need to be. That's what growth is all about. But we don't like growth. Proverbs 18 says, the name of the Lord is a strong tire. The righteous run into it and are safe. But look at those that cling to the world. The rich man's wealth or the worldly man's wealth is his strong city. And like a high wall, that's his esteem of what we've arrived at or what we think we are and what we think we have. That is our esteem. And then look at how he concludes the passage in verse 12. Before destruction, a man's heart is set on himself, haughty, pompous. Before honor is humility. You see, it's the difference of a life in Christ compared to Christ in life. I can take Jesus out of my life anytime I don't like it. But if Christ is in my life, guess what? He's there to stay. Because I made a decision. I'm crucified with him. I no longer live. The second part of this passage that I just read in Proverbs 18 gives us a great understanding of the difference between the the character and the power of God. Or the face, which represents the character of God, and the hand, which represents the power of God. And this is the whole difference in this scenario. Most people become familiar with God's promises, but they fail to get to know God's character. They get familiar with God's hand. They like when God dishes out good things or protects them or does all this stuff, but they do not want to become familiar with God's face or God's character. Why? Because they know in doing that means I have to grow. I have to develop. There's a reality that I've understood for many years. Many want the pastor to be knowledgeable about the things of God only because they don't want to take time to build that relationship themselves. They don't want to take time to get to know God only to know of God. This is what Paul was talking to the church of Galatia. He said, for the time is coming, and you can look at it there in the book of Galatia, I think it's chapter 3. He said, the time is come when you should know God, or you are rather known of God, but you have turned back to those weak and beggarly elements of the world. Why is it? When things are going good, we change the trust factor. And when things are bad, we cry out to God. You see, our life will be so much stable if good or bad. We know God's still there. God's still doing. God's still promising. Why? Because we know Daddy's face. Hebrews 5 
said all the time that we should be teachers. There's many that need to have milk brought to them again in God's word. Look what it says here in the second half on the screen, I believe. Solid food belongs to those who have matured. I want you to look at me just quickly. You're saying, Pastor, you're stepping on my toes a little bit. The reason is, folks, God has you where he has you because he wants to grow you. And the only way he can do that is he got to get you back to him. All the other stuff has to go away. Good, bad, right or wrong. Family, friends, relationships, everything. If you want to do and be what God called you to be, you have to say no to them and yes to him. Can somebody say amen? Of full age, matured. And how do they mature? Look at what it says here. By reason of use, they have their senses exercised with good and evil. We'll never be able to do what God has purposed for our life until we decide to get to know him. And the only place we can do that is when we choose to return to him and get alone with him, maybe in a place called the wilderness. God doesn't change his mind. His purpose is to restore our hope. Let me begin to wrap this up this morning. Am I making sense? Is all this making sense to you today? How many are saying, glad I came today? I'm glad you came today. God has to get us to return to what is called our first love. And as I talk about this a little bit, you're going to grab a hold of it immediately, what I'm talking about and what it means. The hope that God has is by virtue of the fact that he got you into that alone place, He is telling you, I'm trying to get you to return to the relationship you once had. Toward distractions, temptations, no longer have the ability to detour you. Let me take it into an analogy. When my wife and I first met, and I fell in love with her, I could talk to her on the phone for hours and hang up, and it seemed like forever since I talked to her. I could, you know the one you married, that person? That's who I want to talk about here. There was nothing I wouldn't do for her. There was nowhere. I I lived in Prescott at the time. She lived in Gilbert. The East Valley, it might as well have been a million miles away. I would drive errands to pick up parts. And they would all be on the, on the, uh, uh, the west side over at uh, the Durango Curve. Anybody know where the Durango Curve is? That's where all the part runs would be. Well, guess what? She's 30 or 40 miles on the other side of the desert. I drive down there to pick up the parts, and I call her, and I said, Sweetie, I'm nearby. And I would do that as often as I could. I could not spend enough time with her anytime, anywhere, anything. I would drop everything just to be with her. Oh, and just so you know, it hasn't changed. But for case point, you have to listen to the story. You thought of them always. Never forced, never coerced. Constantly on my mind we'd be together we'd have dinner and we'd turn separate ways she would say there i'd go back to prescott or whatever the case is and i was counting the next time i could make it down or she could make it up see i wasn't proving my love i just loved i was consumed with love and then what happens when you get married I'm not going to get into marriage counseling, but I'll tell you what happens. Pretty soon, things start taking importance. Priorities start changing. The relationship gets rocky. What once brought us pleasure now seems to be a bother. The inclination now becomes an obligation. What was once a blessing now 
becomes a burden. Have I drawn a good picture? I know I see husbands and wives out there grabbing hands. That's not us. Is it? But you see, the picture I really drew for you was you and Jesus. When you first met him, man, you couldn't get enough of the Bible. You couldn't get enough prayer. You couldn't get enough alone time. You couldn't get, I mean, church only twice a week? Man, Pat, is there something else? I figured I'd only get two amens out of that one. It's relatively simple what happened. Distractions, temptations have caused us to lose our first love. Stuff has gotten in the way. You see, that's the reason Christ's follower just doesn't cut it. Because too much stuff gets in the way of who I'm following. Living life. Folks, I talk to people all the time. Pastor, I'm busy. Folks, life will catch you unless life has already caught you. For sake of the recording, I pointed up to Jesus unless that life has already caught you. And it takes precedence over the life that you now live. Whether marriage or life or Lord, it's all the same. When living gets in the way of life, we get distracted from our main purpose, which is selflessness, not selfishness. It is giving, not receiving, that are the main issues of life. To the angel of the Lord in Ephesus, write these words in Revelation 2. I know your works, your labor, your patience. You can't stand those who do evil. You've labored for my name's sake and haven't become weary. Stop and look at me, please. That's the life of a child of God. That is a man or a woman who really has put the Lord first and really has purposed to make him first in everything. When you're around things that are displeasing, It's noticeable, uneasy for you. You, for the Lord's sake. Pastor, what do you need? What's the church need? What's the ministry need? Maybe another ministry, another church. We had had, uh, one of the other churches in town called us because we have a church van. And they don't have one. Pastor, can we, do you mind? Could we kind of, sort of? Sure, when do you want to pick it up? And we've done it a few times. We have other churches ask us to borrow things, ask us to do. You know, we don't put a price tag on it. We don't put this dollar amount. We don't put this regulation. We just say, just take care of it. Treat it as if it's yours. Unless I know the people. I say, well, treat it like it's ours then. (laughs) Just kidding. Is that bad humor, Pastor? Well, that one's okay. Okay. (laughs) Pastor Ray and Pastor Philemon are helping me to watch what I say. Okay, what's going to happen is one of these days I'm going to give them permission and you're going to see shoes flying because they're trying to curb my humor. You love my humor, don't you? How come it was so hard to get a yes out of you? But, but think about it. Think of, and don't throw the shoe yet, please, not yet. Think about it. And so we just, yeah, go ahead. Folks, is it about us or is it about him? You know, when I read the book of Revelation, I read about seven churches. I don't read about, in the city of Ephesus, victorious life and grace fellowship and Lamb of God and and, uh, Church of God and whatever this other name is. No, I read the Church of Ephesus. You know, there are many locations of churches in Ephesus, but God called it the church. Of Teratyra, Pergamum. Say uh, uh, Sardis, Laodicea, Phil- uh, 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 Philadelphia, the church. So you know when they call and they ask? Sure. Isn't that what the body of Christ is supposed to be? 
But too many things have got in our way. Too many possessions, too many niceties, too many things. Look what it says. Get back into our text or into Revelation 2. Nevertheless, say that with me. Nevertheless, I have this against you. I want you to listen to that and I want you to underline those words. I have this against you. No, he's not mad at us. No, he's not upset. He's bothered that we don't remember what he's about to say. You don't remember the relationship you used to have with me. You left your first love. Now, he didn't say you lost it. People say, well, I just, I, I, I lost my love for God. No, no. That's just like people, you know, they, people, Pastor, I fell in adultery. You didn't fall in adultery. You ran to it. You walked to it. You made an arrangement to meet in it, but you didn't fall in it. Okay? He didn't say we lost our first love. Oh, please listen to this, ladies and gentlemen. God takes us to a place to get along with him because we left him. He didn't leave us. We left him. He said, you left me. Why? Haven't I fed you? Haven't I clothed you? Haven't I taken care of you? Haven't I lifted you? Haven't I encouraged you? Haven't I strengthened you? Why'd you leave? Because the world became more tempting. The things. He said, you left your first love. And look what he says. Remember from where you fell. You know what God makes you do? He makes you go back and face the thing that took you away. You know why? It will show up again. That's why Hebrews 12 tells us to lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles us. It's always the same thing. Oh, it might be a different name, but it's the same category. Remember where you left. Turn around and go back. See, the wilderness is about returning. That's where God restores our hope. Because the first thing he does, he gets you out of a lie of the enemy, which is what a temptation is, and he gets you back into the truth of his relationship. Am I making any sense today? And do your first works. What are your first works? Your labor, your love, your patience. You didn't do that because it was a job. You did it because you simply loved. Paul told Timothy in in, in 2 Timothy 1, he said, fan that flame, reignite that thing that once burned in you. We read in Exodus 3, we read how Moses was walking in the desert and all of a sudden he saw the tree that was burning, the bush that was burning. But when you read it in the original language, it gives you the idea, the way that it is written in the, in the, uh, the tenses, that he had walked by that bush several times. But this time he's walking by and he says, I think I'll stop and see what this is all about. There's many times that God's drawing you and me. He's drawing us. And then we come to that place and says, I guess I better stop and see. If I want to do anything, I better stop and see what is going on. Say, Pastor, how do I do that? First, you remember what he's already done. The victory that you want, you already have the keys for. He gave you the keys of death, hell, and the grave. He said they're in your hands. And then we have to have the same desire that Paul had that we see in Philippians 3. God, it's not about my life. It's about yours. That I may know you and be found in you not having my own righteousness, which is simply trying to fulfill the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness found from God by faith that I might know you. See, God wants to give you everything. He wants you to know his hand. 
But he said, would you just get to know me so I could give you everything? Would you just get to know me? Stop running from me because you don't like the way something happened, the work that was developing. God wants us so badly wrapped in his arms. But we have to make a decision. As the worship team comes, we have to remember three things. If we're going to return to God in this place, he's going to get us alone, whether we like it or not. Why? He has to clean this stuff off of us. Consider where you came from. Consider where you now are. And consider where you're going. If things don't change, you know where you've been. You know what God's done. But you know right now where you are. Good or bad. And if things don't change where you are right, if you don't return to God and say, God, I hear your voice in the wilderness. I'm coming to find you. I'm coming to seek your face. I'm coming to know you. And the Bible says that all that seek me, when they seek me with all of their heart, they will find me. I'm returning, God. I know where I screwed up. Oh, can I say that over the pulpit? Sorry. I know what I did. I know what I have to go back to that I can return to you. I've got to know where I'm at right now. And if it doesn't change, where am I going to go? That's your choice, not mine. I really sense that God is dealing with hearts in this building. I'm not talking about people living in blatant sin, but I'm talking about people that a distraction or two has caused you to veer off course. And you know, this message was written for you. And you know it's time. I got to return. I got to return. As the music plays softly, I'm just going to ask you to do something very courageous. Get your feet out of the sand. Get your head out of the sand. And return back to the rock. Get up out of your chair and come find a place at this altar. And say, God, i got to come home. i got to come home. Folks, everybody's looking for the first person to move so they don't feel so bad. Somebody be bold enough to be the first one. God, i got to get back to you. i got to return home. I know where I've been. I know where I'm at. And God, if I don't return to you, I know where I'm going. These altars are open. Philippians chapter 3. See, what God is telling us is we have to adjust our life in accordance to and in the one who became all and gave all that he was, that we could give all to become what he called us to be. Philippians 3, I once thought all these things were so very important. I'm reading out the New Living Translation. Paul is writing. But he said, I considered all of life to be worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless compared to to Christ and the priceless gain of knowing Him. I've discarded every one else, everything else. I've counted it as garbage that I may have Christ and to become one with Him. No longer my goodness or ability, just trying to obey God's law. No, I trust Christ. And I keep working. Look what it says here as we drop down. Toward the day when I finally will be all that he saved me and wants me to be. I'm still not everything. Think about this. This is Paul writing. The guy that we look at as as a, a giant. 
in the Word of God. He said, I'm still not everything I should be. But I'm focusing my energies on one thing. I'm forgetting the past. And I'm pressing ahead to what God has. Where are you at? If you're in Christ, I know where you've been. But where are you at right now? Do you love your wife like you loved her when you first met her? Do you love your husband like you loved him when you first met him? Do you love your God? Sure I do. Well, look at it the same perspective. Are you in love as you once were to where nothing else mattered but him? You, her? These altars are open. I ask you to come. God's challenging your heart. I find myself in those places. And just in pastoring a church, if I could take a moment and totally open up my heart to you, there's sometimes that I get weary in doing what I'm doing. And there's sometimes that I say, God, I love you. But I don't know that I'm fully in love with him. Because sometimes I don't want to do for others what he's challenging me to do. Am I making sense today? So if you all don't mind, I'm going to take my own sermon to this altar. And I'm going to pray for just a moment. Don't run away. Pastor Tim Masters with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. I'm Joe Harding. For Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Centers, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast.